Hi, my name is Tawana Shante, and welcome to the Freedom Agent Journeys podcast. On this podcast, I will be discussing an array of topics and amazing conversations with some of the most influential creators and thought-provoking spiritual leaders. So grab your favorite beverage and journey with me. Welcome to the podcast, Derek Martin. And for those of you who don't know, Derek Martin is a very talented drummer, percussionist, producer, songwriter, and he has been performing internationally for the past 20 years. Uh, he's worked with the likes such as Little Richard, Festi Jackson, and oh my gosh, the list goes on and on. Um, so once again, welcome. So I want to jump right into the conversation and I want to ask you, Derek, where do you get all of that incredible um, energy when you perform? So tell me where that comes from. I'm truly living in the moment every time, serving the music, looking for something amazing to happen. And to date, I have to say that every time I play, I find those experiences. And it's because, you know, I believe you find what you go looking for. Right. And I'm always looking for something exciting to happen. And, you know, it's a situation where, some situations may have oh, better players than others or maybe different kinds of music or whatever. But what I found is that my job as a drummer is to always make whatever it is great. Mm. So if the bass player is dragging and the guitarist is rushing, it's my job to immediately identify that and say, all right, this is the way I have to play to make what he's doing right and also make what he's doing right. So together, we communicate, and everybody's like, oh, this feels great. And they don't realize I'm doing it. <laughs> like, right. Okay, I see where you are. I see where you are. And my job is to make all of this happen. It's not my job to complain. Music is not about complaining. Music is, it's, I see music is about nothing but pure joy and passion. And it's there for all of us to access every time. You just have to approach it with the right spirit and the right mindset. And that's the way I approach it. When I see the stage, every time I get to pick up sticks or play, it's not even the stage, it's like we're in rehearsal. You know, anybody tell you, I'm the same cat on the drums. If we're in rehearsal, if we, it's, to me, it's all the same. I just enjoy playing so much. And I'm thankful for the gift to get, you know to be able to do it that I would never disrespect it by not having fun mm. and giving it my all. And and the way it comes out in my expression and all of that, that's just the way it happens to come out. Mm. Yeah, I I don't know how it ends up that <laughs> way or what. Like, oh man, you're doing this crazy stuff. And I mean, I don't know. It's just kind of how it happens. So yeah, and, and I mean. And I guess in terms of the question, I have been in situations where I guess the deal is I've never had anybody ask me not to be myself. Right. I guess people that just don't dig what I am just don't call me. Right, so, right, right. And, yeah, because I'm in a situation where I will never sacrifice my musical integrity in terms of who I am. And, like, and it's also, you know, it's a matter of context. You know, we're playing a quiet jazz gig or whatever. I, I'm still myself in every situation. 
And the other thing that people don't get is that I prepare mm. vigorously mm. for every situation, whether it's a club gig for 30 people or a stadium gig for 30,000 people. It's all exactly the same for me. When people hire me, I'm like, oh, what are the songs? If you tell me I write charts, I know the material, I show up prepared every single time. Like, I do my homework so that when I get to the show, you know, I have my charts or whatever, like, I'm never guessing. Mm. I'm prepared. So my preparation puts me in a zone to be comfortable. So it's like, all right, cool. I got this. I prepared at home. I did all the homework. Is this, this, this. So now I'm prepared to allow the universe to really work with me in connecting because I don't have an insecurity of not knowing the music or not having done the homework or not being prepared. Because that's what people don't miss. The people miss too is that true freedom only comes from preparation. Yes. 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 Like you can't you can't enjoy or indulge in the moment if you are worried about, oh, I don't really know the music or I don't, you know, I'm this right here. You have all of those things in the way. And what it is is that I think when I'm playing, people just, uh, you know, it looks easy. But that that's kind of what all of my idols and people I've always, you know, whether it's Prince or James Brown or Miles Davis or John Coltrane, when you watch what they do, it just seems, oh, yeah, it's, it's easy. But you don't see the 10,000-plus hours <laughs> that they put into it, even the preparation yeah. and rehearsal or meditation or, yeah, so, you know. And it's also, I think, every musician basically is an extension of their personality. And, you know, I'm pretty much, I try to be honest and, and passionate about everything I do. Like, if I can't give it 100%, I just don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I approach playing. And so it's like, when we hit the stage, it's like, yo, let's go. And I look at guys and it's like, ah, why are you not smiling? Why are you not into this? Just yeah, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I am so, so yeah, there. I, you know, not to give you, you know, I get excited even just talking about it. I'm really passionate about music and performance and, 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 and just the art of being able to do what we do and share it with people. So, and I think people that, you know, I've never really had people give me flack about it because they do understand that I do come from an honest place. And that's just who I am. Mm. And I think that's so, you know, powerful, too, because, I mean, for me, um, and I think our similarity is, uh, is you know, our mutual friend um, X, you know, <laughs> one day I think yeah. I, I, he said it and I never right. thought he called me baby he called me he said get off the stage baby D or <laughs> something like that and I laughed <laughs> and I didn't think about it until I thought about it you know what I mean and I was like oh you know I could you know because our energy is really similar like I can't I tr- there was one time I literally tried not to move like I tr- I tried and I couldn't. It's just a part of me. It, you know, it invokes me to, yeah, you know, want to. You can't deny. It. You can't oh. deny it at all. And someone told me at one time I had finished this performance, and they end up telling me, um, she said, "Oh my God, I, you know, I enjoyed your performance." She said, "Oh," she said, "Oh," but if you just tame that a little bit, 
And I said, I'm not an animal, so I don't have to be tamed. <laughs> so, and uh, and she just kind of looked and I walked Amen. away. You know, like, you know, there's nothing about this that needs to be tamed. You know, if you don't understand it, then, you know, that's something, you know, with you. And that's why I asked the question, because I know that I had gotten that response once. And um, and like I said, I, I that that is something that I, I truly love um, just witnessing when I see you, you know, perform. Um, I also want to know, like, where did it start? Like, what age or what? When did you know, like, you know, I think I want to really like do something with this music, or you know, when did when, when did the love for music, you know, begin for you? Well, I mean, music. I, I always tell people like I didn't find music; music found me, and it's like. You know, I started actually kind of having a, a physical interest in playing drum at like five or six. And I was beating on my mom's furniture, kind of wore a hole in the couch with the spoons and stuff. So she's like, okay, either I got to buy this kid some drums or kill him. So I got like a little paper drum set at like five. And then I had like a real, my first like real drum set, maybe like seven or eight. But I really wasn't, you know, I was just kind of banging around. I didn't know what I was doing. But my mother had, you know, an immense record collection. And my mother was also an actress, so I would go to rehearsal with her. And just, so the arts were always around me, and, you know, we there was music playing in the house every day, whether it was, you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire, you know, Prince, Stevie Wonder, you know, you know, Joe Sample. Just, mm. There's always music around. And then, you know, in the, in the hoods I grew up in, you know, everybody in the neighborhood, like, I just saw everything through music. And, and interestingly enough, you know, it's coming up as you, you know, I grew up in the hood with my mom and, and she would kind of be going through things in her relationship or whatever. And I saw her one day, like, you know, talking to my stepdad and she was like, Listen to this song, you know, this is how I feel. And it just hit me so hard, like, yo, you can do that? Like, you can play something? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and somebody can, and so she, it's like she, she didn't have the words or, you know, I guess the word without to communicate it herself. So she's like, this song says everything I want to say. And I mean, that, maybe at age seven or eight, I witnessed that. And it was just something like, wow, that's powerful. Like, so I think, you know, music, in, in that way, music just kind of discovered me. And I've always like, oh, I listen to stuff and it will pull me in. And I mean, I've spent from maybe age, I think I got my first little record player or radio at maybe six. And from six years old till now, but particularly maybe from six to like 18, I listened to music every day, every single chance I could get. No matter what kind of music it was, it was just I had this hunger to listen and learn and dissect and understand. So I think in that way, you know, music discovered me and then my passion, you know, for drums. And I joined um, the high school band when I was like seventh grade. You know, Hardy Junior High, you know, I knew oh, I want to play drums, I want to do whatever. And so that's where the formal education kind of met my passion and love for what was already kind of being mm-hmm. birthed within me from, from my relationship with music. 
And you know, it's it's interesting. Um, it's um, you know, for many artists, originality is the first um, is is preceded by a phase of learning and uh, with us kind of emulating others. So, what was it for you? You know, in terms, of what was it like for you? Um, basically, on how would you or how would you describe the development as a drummer and kind of moving towards your own style? <laughs> who who is it that you kind of emulated, and then? How did you kind of work with say, okay, after I've, you know, kind of um, studied this individual, hey, I find myself, I can create this kind of lane for myself. Well, uh, you know, and that's always like when people ask me, it's kind of like people ask you like, yo, man, as a drummer, like who's your favorite drummer? Mm, yeah. And it's weird because I never listen to drummers. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> that is like funny. X, That's quite funny, Dumar. Like, like, no, it's like because X, X is like my best friend. Like my, he is my brother. And, you know, X is an amazing drummer. And I can't do half the stuff X can do. Like these, the gospel chop cats and I, I just never, I appreciate it. And early on, there's this guy in town, like, you know, uh, Quintus Johnson. Everybody calls him cute. And oh, yeah, yeah, no queen. He's a god drummer, you know. He, yeah, he's a yeah, he's a beast, yeah. You know, I come up and I see Q do stuff and I be trying to do this stuff and I just couldn't do it. It's just, I didn't have, I guess I could have a facility, but what it was is what I connected with music. I just didn't connect with music that way. Mm-hmm. I didn't connect with, oh, let me learn these chops or whatever. I connected with songs. Like, in order for me to learn something, it had to be practical to me. So when I'm listening to Stevie Wonder and Motown and, and you know, and all these things, my question was, wow, that's an amazing song. How can I write? Because I started writing songs, you know, at the, at the same time I kind of started playing drums. Like, I think I wrote my first song in the sixth grade. And so to me, Playing to me was always connected with creating art. Like, okay, well, what's the drummer's role in this great song? Like, what is, you know, locking this, this rhythm in or what is making these people dance or what, how is this serving the melody? And so after, I think maybe I went through a phase, you know, coming through when I first started play, to play, play professionally at like 18 or 19. I probably spent, man, maybe five, eight years trying to be like everybody else. You know, <laughs> That's James, so heavy, yeah. Billy Joe, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, Harvey. Like, I went through all of these drummers, and, you know, even my, the local, my guys I did locally, you know, Jook, you know, Forrest Gordon, and Quintus Johnson. I mean, and then one day, I was just like, you know, I just don't hear music that way. I don't. Uh, uh, at Jackson State, amazing drummer, multi musician, Lou Mark Gully, rest, rest his soul. I would watch, they called him Roost. He could go in the practice room and just work on a particular lick like for hours and hours. It's like, I, like, I didn't have that kind of discipline. Mm. I was like, dude, I, I can't do that. Like, But if you tell me, oh, or, I, or if I found out, oh, in order to play this song, 
I need to learn to do this. Oh, okay, I got it then. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. In order to play Ribbon in the Sky, I have to know how to make this groove sit here and do this. So I, it connected with me that way. And what I found is that I had an affinity for piano players. And my favorite piano pianist of all time is Thelonious Monk. Mm, you gotta say it yes yes to this day my goal in life as a drummer because i do a lot of other stuff you know make records but in terms of drumming my goal is to play drums the way monk played piano wow that for me is it in terms of rhythmic structure harmonic structure melody Phrasing, and most people are like, "Well, how do you, you know, in terms of drumming, how do you?" It's like, "Nah, man. It's like for me, it's about the pocket. It's about the funk. It's about making people feel something." And a lot of times, I see people, I see cats that are chopping and all that kind of stuff. But eh, it's like that's like you know, if I may say this, kind of like masturbating. Getting off with with you. Yeah, that's a good. One. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> but, but you know, you sit there and I can hold a pocket because I was watching all these cats do stuff and I was like, you know what? And part of that was my personal growth too because um, like my sophomore year in college, I read um, Malcolm X's autobiography. Ooh, he, he, yeah. And my best friend, my brother Daryl Pete, had given me the book my freshman year. Like, yo, bro, you need to read this. And at the time, you know, I still had my Jerry Curl, I was conking or whatever. And, and he told me, he's like, oh, man, make sure you're prepared when you read this book because it's going to change your life. So I held the book my entire freshman year. I held it for a year. And my sophomore year, I read the book. And it did change my life. It changed the way I saw myself. It changed the way I played music, the way I saw who I wanted to be as a musician, because the whole conking and that kind of thing, I was like, yo, after reading Malcolm's book, I was like, yo, you know what? Who I am is okay. Mm. Right. So I don't need the Jerry Curl. I don't need, I had to let go and unlearn all of those isms and those things. But I also had to let go of those things in my playing and say, you know what? The way I hear things is valid. The way I want to communicate things is valid because the only thing I'm responsible for in this life is being me and the best version of me I can be. So if I sit down and play it and I hear it the way I hear it, that's valid. And from that point on, I was like, oh, okay. As I learned stuff, I stopped wanting to be other people and I would study Everything that, I was like, okay, I got that. I need to know how to do this. Okay. But now that I have that, this is the way I want to bring that out. Or this is the way I want to express it. So I could, I could watch Q play and not get caught up in the essence of all his technique, but be like, oh, okay, when he played that, it made me feel this. Right. So... What I want to do is make sure that I can embody that emotion and that experience and be able to say, okay, so how am I going to create this experience? 
in my own way. And that's kind of where that all began. And in terms of playing, like, you know, when it comes to playing, I am a nerd. Like, I've never just sat down and listened to to drummers. Like, I'm like, oh, okay, I'll listen to... And, and my career is weird because it's kind of like I've played with a lot of piano players. i played with Little Richard and you know, Katie Webster, uh, you know, most recently Mitch Woods. And it's like I always end up with these amazing piano players. And one of my main mentors from the time I was 18 was Vast Eye Jackson. And Vast Eye, you know, really took me through a period of making me understand, like, yo, man, you need to go back and really be studying, mm. you know, I don't, you know, whether it's jazz or, well, for each each genre of music, you have to go in and study the canon of, you know, what the what the vocabulary is for your instrument within every genre. And in doing that, that's all about playing music. It's not about me learning chops or those things. It's about me learning songs. And that's where I still connect with it. It's like, oh, okay, well, as a drummer, if it's jazz, I have to know the song. I have to know the melody. And even deeper than that, like, you know, until I, you know, I can ramble on about this forever. No, but you're doing great. Okay. I read this book by um, this drummer, Arthur Taylor. Um, and the name of the book was called Notes and Tones. And the book was based, it was all based around the pianist, Bill Powell. And what he did was he he interviewed, like, all of the bebop guys of the day, Bird, uh, Dizzy, and, and all the real cats about their relationship or their opinion of Bill Powell. And in the uh, foreword of the book, he mentions, I think it's like in the first chapter, he mentions that as a drummer, <clears throat> a drummer, he said, you cannot truly play the song well if you don't know the melody and the lyric, he said, even if it's an instrumental song, you must find a lyric for that song because the lyric tells you everything you need to know mm. about how to play the song, how mm. to, and that stuck with me. Yeah, oh that's, that's, that's sticking right. with me. Yeah. I, yeah. So, and, and that's where I come from as a drummer. It's like, that's how I approach it. And then when I, you know, I went to Jackson State, and at Jackson State, you know, Dr. Russell Thomas Jr. was our jazz instructor. And, you know, we're playing Duke Ellington, and we're playing these things. And, you know, we're in jazz lab one day, and he asked me, he's like, yo, man, so we're playing Duke Ellington. What do you know about Duke? I was like, uh, eh, you know, other than the, the, the surface stuff. He's like, no, nah, what, what do you know about Duke Ellington? He's like, how can you play Duke's music if you don't know who he was as a person? Mm. What, you know, where did he come from? How did he live? What, when he composed A-Train, what was, what was his life? He's like, it takes all of this information to play this music. Yes, yes. And I was, and, and so that informed my drumming in a much larger way because I was like, oh, this is about a lot more than the notes or the rhythms. It's and, and it's like so no matter what music I play, when I when I got the gig with Little Richard, you know, that gig took me I did the gig for seventeen years 
it took me about seven years to actually own the gig for myself. Mm. And part of that was me learning who he was. You know, I studied all the music, but it wasn't until I went and read the biography on him. And it's like, oh, this is what he went through to create this. And this is who he is. And and along with, yeah, so, and even now when I'm working with people, it's in my relationships. Once I know a person, what their personality is, you know, this guy can be an asshole. Yeah, right, right. I I make no judgments whatsoever. I just take who they are. So I'm like, oh. I know how to play for him. Yeah. I know how to to stroke his ego. Yeah. I know, okay, well, this guy likes this. Well, he likes this. He has these tendencies. And as a drummer, it's kind of like being a drummer and a producer kind of go hand in hand for me because I'm always doing both from the drum kit Mm -hmm. when I'm playing with people. Mm. That's pretty... So that, you know... in finding myself and being able to say, okay, yeah, it's cool for me to be myself. And the same way I nerd out off stage and study music and, and I have these, these things or whatever. And, you know, I studied the history of drumming and where it comes from. And when it's, you know, drum set was invented and all these things, it's like, oh, it's okay for me to, to be that same dude when I play. Like, oh, okay. I got this information, this is, you know, psychologically, this is where I connect with people. And in terms of my personality, you know, I'm, you know, this big five-year-old dude, blah, blah, blah. It's okay for me to be all of those things. And if people get it, they get it. If they don't, they don't. But none of that has anything to do with me because all I can do is be myself. Yes. And I think that, I mean, um, what you were saying is packed with just so, um, so much important information. And I think that's one of the things that I find um, so important is like you said, just being able, I think also what people don't really realize being a, uh, a musician and, and for me, even with the, the vocalist side, it's the connection. Like you said, you kind of know, like I'm always whoever I'm playing for. If I don't feel the energy from them, like I'm sorry, I and it's probably and, and listening to you, I'm understanding the mindset of how it from a drummer's perspective. I think it's really cool because for me, if I don't feel the energy from the person, you know, it's very difficult for me to be creative. You know, uh, if you, if I don't feel the passion or the, if I don't feel that. The connection, like we can't be on stage together because your energy is going to kind of conflict with my energy and it makes you work harder. You know what I mean? When I find that for me, it's it it, it has to be, you know what I mean? Like it has to be holistic. I have to, you know, it has to flow. I have to be, you know, uh, in one with it. And if it doesn't, you know, I've I've had many, well, not many, and I'm not saying many. Um, I've I've had times where I've had to, you know, say to certain just, hey, I think you're nice. I think you're so, but it has nothing to do with you. I had to, you know, it's me. And that's kind of how, you know, how I feel uh, about it. So I think what you were saying is packed with a lot of, you know, potency in terms of just understanding um, the significance of those connections and um, to pick out what you were saying about the importance um, of, well, 
once again, I won't say artists don't realize I've, I've encountered, um, um, a few artists who don't realize the significance of the power of reading and how that informs oh, you yeah. and how it grows your spirit, how it allows you to manifest through your style, you know, everything about you, your style, your presence. And this week, uh, I want you to chime in on this. Um, I was, I was feeling a little like down, of course, with the loss of Nipsey Hussle, uh, just to, um, change it up, you know, a little bit. Of course, you know, he passed. Um, it shook up the music industry and not just the music industry, the the, the culture of that um, industry, the hip hop culture and all of that, the black community. And I would like to ask you, like, what what's your thoughts on how we move within our music, you know, and how it's d- displayed to the world? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yes. Understand that post-traumatic slave disorder is real. Yes. Yes. And we suffer. Like this, this gets so deep. We suffer from so many different things, 
in our culture. And also, we're lied to a lot. Like, we're not as bad off. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm with you, yeah. Like, Nipsey, you know, rest, rest his soul. Nipsey was doing great things. And the ignorance that took his life yes. in yeah. that community is very sad. And, you know, it's just it's what it is sad. But we have to look at the fact that we have to be careful about, you know, because we get really emotional and the media can tell us all these things. Mm-hmm. And they try, like, my thing is that the same way we want to now celebrate Nipsey and do all these things, it's like, understand that he came from what Nipsey was doing <laughs> is what we do as a people all the time. Yep. The yeah. media wants to make us believe that there's oh, not many of us. Exactly. But there are more of us giving back on a daily than to the contrary. But we bought into this whole falsehood of, oh, black men don't get along, black people block. That is not true. Yes. Yes. And and we you support know- each other. Now we're just we're just like any other group. You know, we, we have our issues and yes, from post traumatic slave disorder, there are things that are that we're fighting against that are just in our DNA. From, you know, hundreds of years of slavery and, and then Jim Crow. Yes. And, and then we're still dealing, you know, with, you know, whether, whether it was segregation and then, you know, racism even now and, you know, white privilege. All these things are just, that's why black people have so much stress. Mm-hmm. That's why we have, you know, heart disease and all these other things. But people don't really want to look at the systemic thing of it. So for me, when I look at the movement, as we say, I don't see it in the way that most people see it. I don't see, to me, what I believe is that any movement or any change does not it doesn't start with any organization. It doesn't start with any neighborhood. It starts with you. It starts with one person at yeah. a time deciding to affect whatever change they want to affect within themselves. Right. Now, in I that day, that. that means educating yourself. And like in the situation what Nipsey was doing, Nipsey was there and it was just Nipsey was victim of a you know, of a culture, you know, hey, this cat came along, the dude was, was jealous of whatever and he and he took his life. It's unfortunate. But what we have to look at as a people is that what we we have to look at changing and educating ourselves to change the mentality that took Nipsey's life. Exactly. I, yes. Yes. Come on. We, and I so agree with that. And, and part, yeah, I think, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Keep, continue. What, what were you going to say? What's, I'm saying, I'm saying, when I say mentality, and that's why I say it's, it's about, the post-traumatic slave thing, we're still largely house Negroes and field Negroes has and have not, not seeing ourselves as one. 
So it was like, oh, as long as we're in the hood struggling together, we're cool. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I get something, I become a target because now you envy me because, oh, I'm not the field Negro anymore. I'm the house Negro. So now I'm your enemy. So it's this whole structure that we still, and the thing is, is that, and I say in our DNA, because I'll, you know, I'll, I'll admit personally, myself, my, my friends and I talk about it, I've had to fight subconsciously for years to, you know, you know if, you're, if you're, in most cases, as a musician, an artist, I'm in a lot of situations where I end up being, if not the only black person, one of only a few. Mm-hmm. And in certain situations, I've had experiences where I realized when it's more of more Caucasians or more whatever than me, they don't even see me. And how does and, it... And it's like, you know, I think the last time I actually felt that way, I mean, it's been, it's been over a decade or more since I've had an experience because I'm more enlightened Right, now. right, right. Yeah, but... But yeah, my, in my subconscious, I kind of always, there was something in me that kind of felt like, you know, am I, man, am I worthy of being here? Or, 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 or like, oh, you got to be in this place because these people are blah, blah. Where it's like, no. You know, and that's when I, you know, when, when I do my, uh, my drum programs and my things, my workshops for schools, that's the thing I'm always wanting to connect with students about. It's like, no, 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 everything you know, who you are is beautiful. Right. Your black skin, your nappy hair, your brown skin, your white skin, whatever. Who, who you are is beautiful right. and valid because you exist. Mm-hmm. So all these things that we fight with in our neighborhood are just a virtue. You know, we're fighting against a thing that is much bigger than any of us. But the first thing we have to realize is what it is. And the thing is, you know, it's, it's therapy, it's all this stuff that we need. And of course, and the thing that happened with Nipsey, it, it'll happen again. It's just, it's just human nature when people, the haves and the have not. Oh, this guy has this. Well, I, you know, I, you know, I'm jealous of, I'm jealous because he's got this. And, you know, well, I'll take his life. And, right. and it, it's just us killing each other. But I, you know, I say, I don't buy into the thing that the media is selling us that, you know, oh, black people don't give back. You know, Nipsey was doing a great thing, but Nipsey was only following in the legacy of what we have done as a people. Right. And I'm so I'm so glad that you said that because I think that is really important because you you know, I'm just gonna be honest, you see it and, and, and it's put it's always shine a light in the media that it's um, you know, it's a few of us that, that, that make it. And, um, even, even when I think about it and, and just adding on to what you were saying, um, I think, you know, for me and I, and I have to say like, you know, I am a hip hop fan. I'm, you know, in terms of the hip hop, I'm, I, there's a certain part of me that is a purist in that way. I really love good lyricism and the whole thing. Um, but I think he was a breath of fresh air. Um, I can't, I'm, I'll be, you know, I'll be remiss if I say, you know, that I didn't like, um, I, I've shared this openly, you know, there's certain things with the, the, the N word all the time, you know, and I understand the culture of that. Um, so, but 
in terms of in terms of his lyricism, I can say that he was headed on the right path. And I think one of the things that I find is interesting to Demar is that, like for yourself, a lot of artists, a lot of uh, creatives struggle um, financially, right? And and particularly now, of course, with social media and all of that, it's 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 one of those things like you know, well, how you do it like that, or how do you? And and the question for you is like. You, I mean, all I know is you've been a drummer, you know what I mean? Like, and you've been a musician and and you've seemed to always have been a musician that, um, um, you know, have been thriving. What, what has, have you ever had any moments where, um, that were difficult that you had to deal with in terms of disappointments and setbacks in your career? I guess I've, I've had challenge, and still have, you know, moments of challenge or doubt, but it's not, like, I've never been like, oh, I'm going to go get a job, or, because for me, it's never been another option. Uh, <laughs> That's deep. 18, That's... Okay. I mentioned, mentioned Vastai Jackson to you. When I was 18, 19 years old, I met Vastai for the first time. And, like, Vastai is basically one of the my biggest mentors and biggest influences as a human, as a musician, as a business person. And he told me at 19, I oh, man, I want to do this for a living. I think at the time I was working at uh, the only like straight gig I had, so to speak, I worked at Musicland. It was a Metro Center record shop. And Vastai was, you know, Vastai, he was, you know, dude that produced all these records, he was doing all amazing stuff, you know, then, even then, whatever. And I said, man, I want to do this for a living, and, you know, what do I do? And, you know, but it's hard. He's like, no, it's not. <laughs> and he told me then, he said that, he said, now, you have to wake up every morning and treat your life like a business. He said, the mm-hmm. same way you get up and you go to somebody else's job every day, and you work for those people, he said, you have to be committed to working for yourself that hard or harder or smarter every day. He said, if you are, because I remember I was gigging a lot and uh, I was gigging every night and I thought I was doing whatever. And he was like, yeah, but if you, he said, think about this. He said, if you plan these 75 to $100 gigs every night and you, you, you know, you gigging four or five nights a week. He's like, but what time are you leaving to invest in developing yourself to get to the next level? I'm like, huh? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you know, if you work at a job, you you know, they're going to do these things and then they have you learn stuff and you put in the time and you, you yeah. get to advance. Yeah. Oh my God, yes, this. yes. And I was like, oh, so he said, choose two nights give up those gigs and spend those two nights focusing on doing something, whether it's practicing, learning, reading, researching, something that's going to elevate you to the next level. And I've just always remembered that advice. And as a musician, now, hey, this is, you know, I know playing gigs, hey, you never be rich just playing gigs. Like even when I got, the gig with Little Richard, I understood. I got that gig at 23, but I understood then that, okay, all gigs end. Mm-hmm. And the 
idea is to, I looked at it as a, as a business. So, you know, I got the gig with Little Richard. I was, you know, um, my wife at the time, you know, Faith and I, you know, we had, so I was investing the money. So we were like, oh, you know, I want to teach a private lesson. She was a vocal coach. You know, this is what we want to do. So the money I was making doing that, I just invested in doing the school we had. So then that began to grow and kind of become its own thing. Because my whole job, my whole deal was that no matter who I worked for, I could be fired or that could end at any time. And I've just never been comfortable with putting my 100% of my life in anybody else's hands. Mm. So... Even when I had to gig with Richard, you know, I was, you know, down Pete and I, we had airtight records. We were producing records and doing stuff. Uh, we had to, you know, percussive music media. We were, you know, teaching private lessons. And in my, uh, to, to show you also, in fact, by putting that train of thought in my mind, I took jazz history, a jazz history class at Jackson State. Uh, most valuable thing that ever happened, uh, Dr. Kermit Holly had each of us in the classroom, he said, I want you as a project for the semester, I want you to trace the lineage of your instrument. Find out as best you can where it came from and who was the first person to play this instrument. And everybody else, you know, people with that play wind instruments and all that could trace their instruments back to Europe or, you know, of course, everything else from Africa. But I found in doing this research that the drum set was only invented when we all came to America. So I did this research and just kind of showing you in terms of, okay, ways to create other streams. So I don't have to work for anybody. I did this research. I had like hundreds of pages of all this research I did on that. And I started uh, going to, my children's school, they're like, oh, can you come and do a presentation? So I created this presentation based off of this research I did in jazz history class about the history of the drum set in America and the role it's played in all forms of American popular music. And I did it. I was doing it for free. I found out, oh, you can join the Mississippi Arts Commission or artist roster, and they'll give you grants and pay you <laughs> well. <laughs> To go in. But in doing that, another thing with Bass we're talking about being a musician, an administrator, a business person. Oh, so the fact that I went to school, I know how to read, I know how to research. So I had to be able to write, you know, everything I'm doing. I had to write my program down in black and white so that these people understand what it is. I was adjudicated, added to the roster. So at this point, I'm like, yo, I can make more money doing this. So that's always been wow. Another yeah. Reason. Yeah. So it's like okay, as a musician. So then now everything connects as I continue to grow. Oh, I'm doing a little richer gig. Oh, I have this platform. I have this teaching business. Oh, I can also do these workshops. And so in moving through, like even now since I've been in the Bay Area, you know everybody's oh man, you always gigging, you always working so hard. Because uh, as a friend of ours, Ezra Brown, yeah, yeah, yeah. Moves, Mississippi to New York, I remember talking to E, and he was like, yo, man, when I got to New York, I had to shed. Like, I really had to kind of step my game up 
Because, like, you know, in, in the crib, you know, you, you think you got it. And you do. <laughs> you have the basis of it. Yeah. Then when you, yeah. When you step, and that's what happened to me when I, you know, all the years and doing all this stuff with Richard and I have all this stuff. And, it, I mean, as, and you're talking about the money. Like, for me, honestly, I never even thought about money. Mm-hmm. Like, I've never gone out the opportunities based on money. I just did stuff I like to do. I know that sounds crazy and everybody's like, oh, whatever. But I just always made money. I always found avenues. Oh, like, this is what I want to do. But it worked because I was passionate about it. And there was no limit to how hard I was going to work to be successful at it because it was what I wanted to do. And I was like, oh, okay, I get paid this much. And then when I was doing the grant thing, I was like, oh. I can make this much money doing, oh, okay. Well, now let me do that and add this to that. And I've just always moved forward because there have been times. I think there was a time when this, this guy was, I was teaching and this guy was like, yo, man, you can come over here. We can give you a job um, as a director of this audio facility. And you play, you know, like, man, you, you, you don't even have to do much. You can just sit here and monitor this. And I think they, they were going to pay like $35 an hour. And to show you how I just don't even have an understanding of how people that work a real job work, I was like, you want me to sit somewhere for eight hours, for $35 an hour, but I can teach a private lesson for 60 <laughs> an hour. <laughs> so true, and my brother. So true, so true. But I'm like, I was doing all of this stuff, and I was like, oh, now... I just have to make sure that my hustle is on, but my earning potential is better for me keeping myself free enough to do what I want to do. Because, but I, I remember telling my mom, my mom's like, "Oh boy, that's a good job." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I was like, "But no, right?" So no, I, I'm just. But yeah, that's always just been my mentality. But I've always just been, and, and there've always been times where it's like, "Oh." You know, oh, I need to make more money, or times get hard, or even even now in the last decade. Like I mentioned with Ezra, like when I moved to the Bay Area, I've been in the Bay Area now, I guess about eight, nine years. And when I first moved out here, I was like, oh, okay, I'm playing. And you know, my plan was cool, but when I got out here and I jumped in and I'm playing with all these people, it was like, wow, okay, I got to learn this, or I'm learning this. And I realized that after, like, maybe three or four years of being out here, I could even see, I was like, oh, my plan has moved to another level. Like, oh, because I was, I'm being presented with challenges that I'd never been presented before mm-hmm. because I jumped into a larger pool. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, all I got to know how to do that. And in terms of writing charts, you know, I tell X all the time, I was like, dude, I've written more charts. Like the first Five years I was in the Bay, I, I wrote more charts than I did 20 years prior. Wow. Wow. Because it's like, oh, I'm learning, I'm doing all this stuff, but it was just, in terms of surviving, I've just never been like, uh, I just never thought about it. I was like, uh, okay, if I need to make more money, I got various skill sets. I know the music business, so I'll just find one of my skill sets that I can diversify and monetize. Okay, you want you know you want to know how to fill out copyright papers or publishing and oh I know how to do that yep. and I just never I run into people that need help oh like, yeah 
okay, I'll do this for you. Uh, give me your book. <laughs> give me, you know. No, no I, uh, so, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, yeah. So Yeah, so that's just the way I've always looked at it. And of course, now, with the way the music industry, of course, with the tech industry, you know, basically just, you know, gut-punching the profit system in the, you know, in the music business, like, as an artist, you know, it took me, like, I, it took me about six or seven years before I actually started to release music for sale and that kind of stuff again because I just didn't understand it. I'm like, well, it doesn't make any sense for me to spend, I mean, over the last, you know, decade or so, you know, I've played on countless amounts of records. But I play on records for people. I'm like, okay, you spent 50000 making this record. So how are you going to make that back? And I'm just watching people. And so I'm like, oh, okay. And that's been scary for me, like kind of figuring out, okay, what am I going to do in the music industry? Like, if I was a doctor or an attorney or an accountant with, the same experience that I have as a musician, like people that are attorneys with the experience we have in music, they their value accrues based on their experience right. and their knowledge and this right. kind of stuff. But as a musician, it's like, oh, I've done all this stuff and I have all of this experience and all this kind of stuff, but oh, I'm still going down to the joint. Can't pay me a hundred bucks to play this four-hour gig. Right. I got to do this. And it's like, so, oh, then I, I, you know, I put a record out. Now with, you know, with Spotify and all these things, you know, you're getting the streaming thing and all this kind of stuff. You're getting sense on plays and it's just become next to impossible mm -hmm. yes. to yes. really make a living yes. trying to sell records. Because people don't even buy records anymore. They get sure, their Spotify yeah. subscription or their Pandora so Spotify and Pandora are making hundreds of millions from these subscriptions, but these people are getting our music. Oh yeah, we get part getting, of that subscription, but right. we're not. You we, know, it's not trickling down to us. No, so. <laughs> absolutely. So the the fear in that for me is not necessarily fear. I just kind of looked at it like, okay, I just got to figure this out. Okay, how do I? You know, I start with myself. It's like, what do I have? that makes me special. Like, what do I have that, that people are willing to pay for that they can't get from anybody else? Right. And what I've figured out for myself is like, oh, okay, like me performing and that kind of thing. My people see that or whatever, but I've done interviews. I did an interview for Soulbag Magazine in uh, Italy last year. And the guy sits down and we start to talk. And as we talk, he was like, oh, you're smart. Oh, yeah, I've had that happen before. <laughs> I thought we were, I thought this was going to be about drums, but it's about education. It's about art. It's about music. It's about production. It's about, I'm like, yeah, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And then I, you know, in terms of me realizing, oh, that's what it is. I don't have to just, you know, survive as, because any, any business, everybody tells you, no, you have to, you have to be able to maneuver. You have to yes, be able to, when the yes, market changes. Yes. You got it. Okay. So right now, okay, well, just playing gigs is not going to get it. 
I'll play some gigs, but even in playing those gigs, I have to be smart. Now, I'll play the $100 gig, and it's not an ego thing because a musician, but I, at some point I have to say, all right, man, my value is this. When I come to your situation, this is what I'm bringing. I'm going to be prepared. It's going to be this, is this. Your situation is going to benefit from having me there. So let's talk about what that has to be worth. Yes. And you know what? And oh, no. I'm that's not. just. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was. No, I want you to finish just what you just said. I, 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 it was something, but I can, I can chime in. Go ahead and finish up what you were saying. But no, I'm just, and it's just, it's just about kind of knowing our worth in a situation, you know, because when I do my, I've been doing uh, my drum programs here, and, and like, I, I never did when I, this is, this year, I've been here eight or nine years, <clears throat> I haven't done my drums and more program in California, because when I first got here, I was having people, oh, you can come out. And do the program, we'll give you $150. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> the program is worth literally 10 times that. And yes. I'll do it for free before I allow you to undervalue it. Yes. I'm w- Can you say that before again? Because most people don't realize. Me. Can you please say that again? Because I don't think, and people don't I said, realize. I will, I will work for free before I'll allow you to undervalue or put a price on me that's beneath the value of whatever I'm presenting. Okay. That's, that's, yes. Yes. And that's not, most people are, it's not arrogant. It's not ego. It's like, this is, I've been, like, I've been doing this program. I know it works. And I've been making this kind of money doing it. So until I found a relationship here with young audiences in Northern California, I finally found an organization and the thing about it is, in art and everything we do, people think they saw, oh, we've seen everything, we've seen, and I'm like, no, you haven't seen it. And, and until they see the program and how it affects students and the whole thing, and then they're like, oh, I get it. But if I had allowed someone to cheapen it, they would never see it that way. Even if it was great, they would still say, yeah, but you're doing it for this, but why are you asking for this? Right, that that's deep. Now that, so I had to, yeah, I had to wait it out. But I made a relationship with these people, and even when we made the relationship, we talked about it. This is what it is. This is the minimum of what I have to make. And they were like, oh no, blah blah blah. I'm like, oh. and we worked it out. And you know, it, it I've had nothing but success with them. I've I've done the program, and the program, not just because it's me. I mean, it, it's a it's a ministry of sorts for me. And that I know the program changes children's lives because I see it every time I do it. It's the same thing that happened to me. But I understand in a business structure that this is worth something. There is funding there for it. And I just refuse to give it away you know, or for it to be you know, undervalued. Right, right. Right. And I think that's so important because um, you see, I mean, and that's one of the things that I encourage all the time is, um, you know, even I, I encourage myself to remind myself, you know, that, you know, you're worthy of what, you know, um, you ask for. And that if if that, you know, entity or person or whomever um, it may be, 
you know, can't see the value in that, then it's okay. You know, then it's just not, you know, it's just not for them. And I think that's, that was so powerful, you know, um, you know, what, what you're saying. And I just want you to know that one of the reasons why this podcast is going forth (laughs) is, um, this was probably, it's before I moved, um, you know, to Atlanta, I, um, we had a conversation. I still remember where I was. I was sitting in my chair in my room and we were, we were just like talking. I think we were talking about revamping. Uh, well, I wasn't talking about that. You started talking about the importance of revamping yourself. And you talked about how David Banner revamped himself and, um, And and it was so, oh, yeah. He, yeah. He an amazing yeah and job. you yeah and so you were sharing that and so and it and you said yeah he said and you said yeah this is you know sometimes you have to do you have to move according according accordingly to where you are you know according to where you are and um and so I I really realized that and I was like you know what that is you know that is so true and it wasn't until. Like I said, I, I moved and I, I had I was slowly purchasing some of the, you know, podcast equipment and things like that. And I, I it didn't really register to me. And so I wanna say, you know, to you that one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast is because of that conversation. I always that stuck with me about, you know, always, you know, just being in a position to uh it's okay to revamp yourself. It's okay to push the refresh button, you know what I mean, and, and try something different. Oh yeah. While still yeah. being in the vein of, of, of what it is that you're doing. So um and so I'm saying that to say that you're so right. I mean, I think that's what makes you know, makes it work, you know, uh, us continuously to grow, you know, in our craft and our gift, um, but as well as being willing to push the refresh button and revamp, you know, something that that's just a part of who we are. You know what I mean? So, um, well, yeah, it's like, you know, reinvention is very important all the time because we, you know, it's kind of like, you know, as songwriters, as producers and musicians, like, you know, playing on the stage, like, it's, it's all a part of what we do. And the thing is, you know, I hate to use this term, but if you're, you know, you're your own brand, mm-hmm. so to speak. And, and that, you know, and there are a lot of different things or products or situations that have come up under that umbrella. And it's okay, like, oh, okay, well, I'm not making the most money singing or performing or doing such and such, but you have to, pull back and say, no, it's not about that. It's like, this is the entity, and everything I do, all of this works for me. So I was like, oh, okay, well, today, I'm going to go do this, whether it's playing this gig or producing or, or songwriting or, or teaching or whatever, but it's all you working for yourself, guiding your own destiny. And that's, that at the end of the day is what it you know is what it's really all about because like you talked we were talking about the thing about um, your value that's kind of like um, I've always admired that about you and one of the things I think when X and I did the Soul Revival shows man almost fifteen years ago you know you and the way you guys were moving were one of the things that inspired us because I noticed oh she was doing all her original music. You know, you don't see Tawana out here doing the club. She put on her own shows. She's doing, and that inspired us. So it was like, okay, we're going to put this show on, but none of the clubs, I'm not going to complain about what bars and clubs can play, can pay 
because that's what they can pay, and right. that's what it yes. is. But yes. it's like, oh, okay. We called Howlin' Loud at the time, or a venue, and it was like, yo, man, we want to put our own show on, and, and, and you know, Malcolm was like, cool. I'll give you the room, and I'll pay the sound man. You take the door, I'll take the food and drink. I say, okay. okay. That's cool. So, Works for me. At that point, at that point, it was about, all right, we say we don't, we're going to do whatever. We're going to build our own audience. Whatever comes in the door, 100% is out. And y'all so, did that, too. I remember you know, that. The, yeah. the club didn't say, you only worth $1,000. Or you only worth two or three. He, he, didn't, he couldn't put a cap on that. We're like, no, nah, we're going to do it. And, and we, you know, we had successful outings. And even when I started my that was the way I looked at it. It was like, no. Nah, and I just kind of looked at it that way. It's like, no, nah, you can't. When you... When you are in a situation of knowing your value or building your value, you know it, it's hard. You know, you, and you're going, yeah, you're going to take a loss because right. it takes time to build. Because you might be hot in one area, but in another area, nobody knows you. Right, right. So you still, but but that's the excitement about that's entrepreneurship. Yeah, you're that's right. You're right. Ownership, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's and that's the work. That's like you know whether you're working for somebody else or working for yourself, it just depends. And not everybody is built for this, right? Oh, you know, like yes, yes. Let me say that not not everybody because I have people in my family that have told me like I don't understand what you do. I like, know I'm the same. <laughs> <laughs> like how do you make a living? Like how do you? So yes. like you you travel and you doing this and you having fun. I'm like. And they don't realize it's like I'm working harder than you. I know. Oh my God, speak. Yes, this is this is this is so true. I, well, I want to say this because we're gonna um, I'm, I'm gonna move into our section what we call uh, freedom rounds. And but before we move into that okay. uh, freedom rounds is um, I just want to say everybody, freedom agents. This is what this platform is is, is all about. Um, getting the information you need to soar. I don't know if if you're listening and when you listen to this, this is amazing. I mean, I've, I, I'm, I'm full off um, the energy, off the information. And Derek, I want them um, to know where they can follow you at on all your social handlers. So where can they follow you? So just throw that out there. Okay, on Instagram, I'm uh, D1971MAR. All right. This is the same on Twitter, D1971MAR. Uh, my website is dmarmusic.com. Okay. And I want you all to know, too, that you'll be able to find this. And um, I have a link in the subscription as well for you to be able to, um, you know, check out his page and all the great things that he is doing. Um, so this is the part of our um, podcast where it's called Freedom Rounds, and you don't have much time to think about it. It's just when I call it out, you just answer it, and, and it is what it is. So what's the favorite artist of all time in your perspective? Prince. Prince? Yeah, Prince. You said Prince? Okay. All right. So, what can I catch you doing on a chilled out day? Watching Netflix. 
watching a documentary on Netflix. <laughs> All right. Now, what is your favorite dish to prepare for your family? Spaghetti. I felt you were going to say that. Why all men say spaghetti? I thought you were going to at least say some. You know, some barbecue ribs. No, I'm just trying to... <laughs> yeah, I, stopped, I stopped eating meat about a year ago. So, I, you know, I do like, um, you know, protein pasta and vegetarian ground beef Oh, stuff, so yeah, cool. Cool. Well, I'm I'm there with you on that one. So, um, so my final question um, for you is, what does success mean to you? Oh wow! Uh, just being happy with who you are. That's amazing. Well, everyone, I want to thank you for um, for joining us and. Once again, uh, please follow um, Derek Martin on all his social handlers and um, and just really uh, just stay abreast on what he's doing. He's amazing. This interview has definitely been fueling for me. I hope that it's done the same for you. And don't forget to uh, subscribe and leave a comment. Thank you and peace and blessings.